Well, let's pray together, Bethlehem. So, Father, we do come now and we want to have your word have its proper and full effect on us. And so we do pray this morning that you would help us because of the blood of Jesus that was planned before the foundation of the world to save us from our sins and set us free to walk in more and new holiness. Father, because of all that, help us tremble in holy fear before you. Change us, shape our hearts, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, one of the ways to get to know yourself and other people most is to ask the question, what is it that I fear most? What is it that you fear most? Why is that such a revealing question? Because what we fear can show us where our hope is, can show us what we're counting on. And we're living in a season where fear is running in lots of different directions and revealing lots of different desires. But even with that knowledge, fear we know can serve our good. Let me give you an example of that. Growing up, one of my favorite times of the year was when we would take our road trip to Daytona Beach, Florida. And the whole thing felt like this storybook. I loved everything about it. I loved the the road trip and the ice cream that we had every night and the beach and the waves and the jellyfish and, and all these exciting things that we didn't have back at home. And I remember the first time I saw one of these signs outside of one of these little ponds near our resort that said, alligators sometimes present. Now what that developed in me, even as a young little guy, was a healthy fear to not get too close to those ponds for my own good and safety. What we fear, like a pond full of alligators, reveals what we want. And what I wanted was to live, to enjoy the rest of my vacation with my family. So what we fear most will reveal what we want most. In fact, fear has a way of helping shape our reality that in turn shapes our behavior, shapes our conduct for good or for bad. And fear is the main point of our passage today. Peter exhorts us and his readers to conduct themselves in the fear of their father throughout the time of their exile. This isn't something we talk about much at church, but my job this morning is to help us properly fear our Heavenly Father with the goal that it would shape our hearts and therefore shape the way we live as exiles in a foreign land. My desire this morning is that we would fear our Father more than we fear anything else and that it would actually mark us as a people, that when people look at Bethlehem Baptist Church, when they look at Christians, they would see people who most fear God more than anything else, even an economic crisis or the loss of health or the loss even of our comforts and our conveniences. And I believe 
that if we properly fear our Father, it will increase our hope and trust in him in a way that brings about our good and his glory. So here's my outline for this morning. Number one, we're going to look at what does it mean exactly to walk in fear. Number two, we're going to say that we want to walk in fear knowing the impartial discipline of our Father. And number three, we want to walk in fear knowing the precious freeing blood of our Savior. So let's dive in first and look at walking in fear. So what I want to do is just take a minute or two to look at the idea of walking in fear from first Peter itself. So what I want to do is see how does Peter think about this word fear? What is it referring to? So first we'll go to 1 Peter 2 verses 17 to 18. So these should all be easy to get to so follow along with me. And here's what it says. This word shows up twice in these verses. Honor everyone. Love the brotherhood. Fear God. Honor the emperor. Servants, be subject to your masters with all respect. That's the word for fear. Not only to the good and gentle, but also to the unjust. So we see the word two times in these verses. We're to fear God. And it says household servants are to submit to their masters with all fear. That's the same word. We find this word in the context, therefore, of relationships. In other words, it's kind of relationally based fear. Honor the emperor because of who he is to you. Submit to your master with all fear because of who he is to you. Fear God because of who he is to you. Who they are shapes how they relate to us and how we relate to them. Then we can go to chapter three in verses five to six and we see that the holy women who hoped in God are those who do not fear anything that is frightening. So we have to ask ourselves there, why did they not fear anything that is frightening? How does fear connect with hope? Well, last week, Pastor Stephen talked about setting our hope fully on the grace that is to come. He talked about setting our hope fully on God and not the things of this world. And I think these holy women who hoped in God were filled with more trembling before God because they put all their hope in him, then they were afraid of anything else that this world could take from them. So what we fear most is directly connected to what we hope in most and greater fears like fear of God can drive away lesser fears that we might have. Or look at chapter three, verse 14, where Peter is telling these people that persecution is likely coming. So, so how should they handle knowing that persecution is coming? But even if you should suffer for righteousness sake, you will be blessed. Have no fear of them, nor be troubled. So instead of fearing persecution that could maybe make them deny God or walk away from God, what should they do? Look at verse 15, right after verse 14. In your hearts, honor Christ the Lord as holy, always being prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you for a reason for the hope that is in you. Yet do it with gentleness and respect. Again, the word for respect there is fear. So what should they do? Instead of fearing persecution or fearing their persecutors, what should they do? 
They should regard Christ as holy and give a reason for the hope that's in them with gentleness and fear. This means that they're gentle towards those who persecute them, but they filled with trembling towards God. In other words, when the persecution comes and they are tempted to tremble before the persecutors and deny Christ, here Peter says, no, tremble before God and give your persecutors a reason for the hope that is in you. In other words, they don't fear their persecutors and deny the faith because they fear being unfaithful to their father more. Again, we hope in God, so we fear denying him more than any persecution. So in 1 Peter, and I think the rest of the Bible, this word has the idea of reverence towards God because of who he is. We tremble before him in his holy and righteous and perfect character. We, we tremble before him because of who he is. But now what we're going to do in verses 17 to 21 is, is look at, in this particular case, where Peter is talking to these people in exile, who does he want them to know that God is? How are they to tremble in light of this picture of God that he'll put before them? So let's dive into point number two, knowing the impartial discipline of your father. Look at verse 17 with me. It says, and if you call on him as father, who judges impartially according to each one's deeds, conduct yourselves with fear throughout the time of your exile. That's the main command. Verses 17 to 21 are really one sentence in the Greek, and this is the main command. Conduct yourselves with fear throughout the time of your exile. So let me just remind you of a couple themes that we see in verse 17 that we've already seen in this book. The first one is that God is our Father. We saw this in verse 14 last week with Pastor Stephen. We're called obedient children. That's the first theme. God is our Father. The second theme, we are elect exiles. We are a people that now belong to the family of God and we feel a, a homesickness while we're here. We don't quite fit in. We aren't satisfied because we're longing for the fullness of our adoption in the presence of our Father forever. And while we're in this place that is not our home, as children of God, we're called to conduct ourselves with fear of our Father. Why? Why are we called to do that? We don't normally think of the fatherhood of God as a reason to fear. And it was especially strange to me because just a week or so ago, I recorded a devotional for the South Campus from Romans 8.15. So here's how Romans 8.15 reads. For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption as sons by whom we cry, Abba, Father. So there it says that we can cry, Abba, Father, and in that cry be free from fear. Here it says we cry out to our Father and we should fear. So I had to think, what, which one is it? Do we fear our Father? Does crying out to our Father free us from fear? And it's obviously both because they're both in the Bible. In Romans 8, we are set free from the fear of condemnation because we are no longer enslaved to sin. We belong to the family. It's our identity. Therefore, 
I don't think the fear in 1 Peter 1 is a fear of condemnation. I don't think that's what it is. So what is it? Well, Peter wants us to know from verse 17 that our Father is also a judge who is always impartially judging us. The judging in this verse is in the present tense, which means that he's doing it now. He's doing it while I preach. He's doing it while you watch in your living room. What is he judging? What's really clear here, it says he's judging our work or our conduct. So in Romans 8, it's talking about our eternal position as children of God. And in 1 Peter 1, it's talking about our present conduct as children of God. So two separate things. But on the way here, just to to share the meditation I had on the way here with you, what a beautiful thing it is when we bring these two together that we know our Father is always impartially judging us. He's watching our conduct. He knows our temptations. He knows our sinfulness. And we also know that our Father has given us access to cry out to him, Abba, Father. So instead of doing what we normally do when we're tempted or when we've sinned and trying to clean ourselves up or make ourselves holy, here is the invitation. God has already seen it. You can't fool him. You can't sneak past him. So go to him and cry, Abba, Father. So the picture in 1 Peter 1 is a father watching the way his children conduct themselves with impartiality. In other words, Peter is saying as obedient children, we don't get a pass to act however we want as his children. Instead, we're called to, like Pastor Stephen called us to last week, be holy because he is holy. We're called to bear a family resemblance. We're called to become who we are as a part of the family of God. You could really label this whole section from verses 13 to the beginning of chapter two, just that become who you are, be who you are. You're part of the family of God, so be who you are in your new identity. So what will he do if he finds us walking in ways that don't accord with his holiness? So he's watching, he's looking at us in our conduct, what will he do? Well, 1 Peter 4.17 gives us a clue. It says, For it is time for judgment, same word, to begin at the household of God. And if it begins with us, what will be the outcome for those who do not obey the gospel of God? So notice here again that the picture is a picture of a household with our Father who is God. He's not going to let his blood-bought family, he's not going to let the church continue in their sinfulness that would lead to ultimate destruction. He's going to refine them. He's going to discipline them because he loves them and because he's holy and he wants them to be holy. 1 Corinthians eleven thirty-one to 32 is where the church in Corinth is making a mockery of the Lord's Supper. And Paul says something instructive there for our passage. So here's 1 Corinthians 11, 31 to 32, where Paul is, is addressing this church that's making a mockery of the Lord's Supper. Here's what he says. But if we judged ourselves truly, we would not be judged. 
But when we are judged by the Lord, we are disciplined so that we may not be condemned along with the world. So, so here we see the ongoing impartial judgment will lead to painful discipline of a father who loves us too much to let us cozy up with sin that would ultimately destroy us. This judgment isn't one of condemnation. It says right here explicitly it's to keep us from condemnation. But if you think, well, then I don't need to worry about my sin. Keep in mind that in 1 Corinthians 11, he's responding to the fact that some people are actually passing away. He's explaining why that's happening. In Hebrews 12, it says that we know that we are children of God because he disciplines us. And this is what good, loving fathers do. A father wants what is best for us. He sets forth commands that are meant to lead us into full, abundant life. Jesus came that we might have life and have it abundantly. And his commands are meant to draw us into full, abundant life that shines forth his glory. And then because he loves us, he disciplines us when we are straying from those commands that will lead to death for us and dishonor for him. Let me tell you a story about growing up that might help illustrate this. When I was growing up, my dad was a city administrator. This meant that lots of people knew him and lots of people were watching out for where I was when I was out and about in our community and that my actions would reflect on our family in our community. And I knew beyond a shadow of a doubt that I would not get any kind of special treatment if I did something foolish. I knew it would be impartial. There were at least a few times I can remember where I was held back from doing foolish, stupid things that would have brought me pain and sorrow because I knew the discipline that would come and the dishonor it would bring my family. There was a, a healthy fear that was for my good and was meant to draw me into true life. Yet, like a lot of kids that age, I was still foolish and there were still times I did foolish things because I thought I could get away with it. I would try to weigh the odds at what were the chances of getting caught. But this passage tells us that there is no sneaking around God. There's nothing we do out of his sight. And I hope, I hope that like, like has happened for me this week, that you would come to feel that as a deep comfort for your soul. That you would feel the, the comfort in this fear. We have a father who sees it all and will discipline us to keep us from ultimate ruin, to keep us from running, running away from him forever. That's love. We fear as beloved, obedient children born again to a living hope with a sure inheritance. This fear is the fear of the discipline of a father who is watching our work and means for us to bear a family resemblance, to love what he loves, to turn away from what he says is evil for our good and his glory. He does this for our good and our abundant in our true life. He does it for the sake of his name. 
how many marriages or ministries might have been saved by a healthy fear of the Lord, knowing He's watching and He cares and He'll discipline. Maybe right now, you're toying with sin, thinking you'll deal with it tomorrow, thinking you'll deal with it in a week, trying to do better before you run back to the Lord. But the Lord sees and we're meant to tremble before him. He, he's not going to let you continue in something that will destroy you. He loves you too much. And so this morning, maybe this is the moment where you tremble before him and you run back into his arms and ask for forgiveness and grace and help. I'll just say that this changed how I loved my family and how I wrote emails and did Zoom calls this week. And you might think, well, this kind of fear would distance you from God. This kind of fear would kind of make you hesitant to go to him and it's just the opposite. As you're walking, knowing your your father's eyes are on you, he wants what's best for you, he loves you, he's watching, he cares, he's always near. I found myself this week focusing on this in a new way, drawn near to the beauty of his holiness, fellowshipping with him in newer ways, a kind of fresh revival of holiness in my heart, knowing my father was near and with me and would do whatever it took to draw me away from sin and towards him. That's point number two. Point number three, walk in fear, knowing the precious freeing blood of your Savior. This is verses 18 to 21. Let's look at verses 18 and 19 together first. Here's what it says. Knowing that you were ransomed from the feudal ways inherited from your forefathers, not with perishable things such as silver or gold, but with the precious blood of Christ, like that of a lamb without blemish or spot. Now we often think of the blood of Jesus as simply paying for the penalty of sin, but here it says the precious blood of Jesus Christ, more precious than any silver or gold this world could bring, ransomed us, not just from the penalty for our sin, but from the feudal ways of life they inherited from their forefathers. It doesn't just free us from the, the penalty of sin, but brings us to a new father and gives us new power to be like him. Last week, Pastor Stephen pointed us, took us back to Leviticus and our call to be holy because God is holy. Well, here in these verses, I think we see Leviticus linked with Exodus. So listen to Exodus chapter 12, verse 5, where Israel is preparing for the Passover where God will pass over their households because of the blood of the lamb and ransom them from slavery in Egypt. Here's what it says, Exodus 12, 5. Your lamb shall be without blemish, a male a year old. So Peter is bringing the story of redemption together here. Who is the ultimate Passover lamb? Jesus Christ, the perfect lamb of God. They're not ransomed with silver or gold that perish. They're set free from their slavery to sin like Israel was set free from their bondage to Egypt by the precious blood of the Son of God, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. And what was expected of Israel as they were redeemed by the blood? Pastor Stephen told us last week they were to be holy because their God was holy. They were redeemed to be holy. 
They were to live differently in their sojourning while they waited for the promised land as a witness to the glory of God. Peter's connecting Exodus and Leviticus here, a people redeemed by the blood of the lamb and called to become like their father. We saw in the introduction of 1 Peter that we are elect exiles for obedience to Jesus Christ, for sprinkling with his blood. We are to walk in holy trembling before our Father because the precious blood of Jesus was spilled to ransom us from the vain, futile, and foolish ways of our former lives. This is what we were redeemed for, for our holiness and for the sake of the Father's name. And your redemption by the blood of Jesus is to walk in holiness and it's amazing and should cause us to tremble even more how long this has been planned for. Listen to verses 20 and 21. This Jesus was foreknown before the foundation of the world but was made manifest in these last times for the sake of you who through him are believers in God who raised him from the dead and gave him glory so that your faith and hope are in God. This blood shed to set us free has been planned before the foundation of the world. God has been planning to make you holy by the blood of Jesus from before the foundation of the world. The Son of God, who was loved by his Father since eternity past, entered into our mess in these last days for our sake. The last time we saw this word foreknown was in chapter 1, verse 2, when it said that we are elect exiles according to the foreknowledge of God the Father. In other words, Jesus, the one that was loved before the foundation of the world, entered into the mess of the world to save the people of God who were loved before the foundation of the world. He came for us, died to set us free, was raised up by his Father, all as a part of a plan made before the foundation of the world. Do you feel the pursuing electing love of God for you in Christ. In her commentary on 1 Peter, Karen Jobes says it this way, God knew the complete program of redemption before the foundation of the world. He knew the complete program of redemption before the foundation of the world. This pandemic is a small blip compared to God's eternal program of setting people free by the blood of Jesus to live for his glory and live in fellowship with him now and forever. Does that make you tremble? It made me tremble this week just thinking of the eternal plan of God to make us walk in holiness purchased by his blood Does that make you walk in fear of forsaking God more than anything else? Does it make you walk in fear of making God's holy, eternal plan look foolish? Christian, you have been loved by your Father from before the foundation of the world. The Son of God came to set you free from your bondage to sin by his precious blood. You've been sanctified, set apart as holy by the Holy Spirit into the family of God. Been liberated at great cost. You're exiles in this world because you've been redeemed from the futile ways of this world. God means to work this holiness in you because he's paid for it by the blood of Jesus for your good and for his glory. So tremble with this knowledge of his eternal plan before you click on that link again. Before you get ready to say that harsh word again. 
before you get ready to give in to that addiction again, before you get ready to grow impatient again, or before you get ready to gossip or linger on that bitter thought again, before you get ready to run to the money and power and prestige the world values again, before you get ready to entertain that self-righteousness again, before you are ready to be envious again, or as you get ready to run down that Google trail that is dominating your heart again, remember, remember, your Father who loves you too much to let you continue in sin is watching. He's judging your conduct. He will discipline you if you wander from His commands. His commands flow from His character and are meant to draw you in to full life. As you remember that, let a holy, loving fear flow into your heart and give you pause. And instead of running away from God into that sin, let it draw you near to God. See the sign about alligators in the pond and pause. Don't go into the water even though in that moment in the hot Florida sun it looks refreshing. Pause. Stop and then tremble with great joy before your father who sees you and remember he sent his son to set you free from these futile ways you're about to dive into again. He knew this moment was coming before the foundation of the world. He knew this temptation was coming. He loved you while you were yet a sinner and sent his son to pay for your sins and set you free from these futile ways. He redeemed you to bear a family resemblance, to welcome you into true life, to walk in true fellowship with him as obedient children. So tremble in that moment of temptation. Tremble in that moment of sin, remembering the impartial discipline of your Father and the eternal plan to spill the precious blood of your Savior to give you the power to turn away from that pond that looks so good. And here, here's what the fear of the Lord is meant to do. It's not meant to, to make you turn away from the pond and just run away in fear towards nothing good. It's meant to make you turn away from the pond so you can walk just one more block down the road to the, the ocean waves and the morning ocean sunrises and the, the sandy beaches and the birds flying and the, the kind of the salt-filled air that just makes you want to worship. It's made to take you beyond the pond to that that you couldn't even see a minute ago because you were so blinded by your sin. That's what the fear of God is meant to do. So as elect exiles bearing a family resemblance, our fear of our Father will serve our faith and our hope in a way that shines to the world. When we tremble most before the watching eyes of our loving Father and tremble most in light of the eternal plan of the blood shed from our Savior, other fears will lessen. Other fears will dissipate because what you want most is nearness with God his pleasure, fellowship with him, that's what you want most. Are you afraid right now and tempted to run and try to take control with information and to give in to fear and frustration? Perhaps you're tempted to do and say things that wouldn't show that our hope is set fully on the grace that is to come at the revelation of Jesus. In those moments of temptation, set your hope on Jesus fully. Let that change your heart, but also remember your Father who loves you is watching. He paid for your holiness. 
Tremble before him and set your hope and faith fully on him again and let other fears fall away as you draw near to your father. Bethlehem, there is a fountain filled with blood drawn from Emmanuel's veins that was planned before the foundation of the world to save us from our sins and set us free from our foolish ways. The fear of God points us back to the sacrifice of the Son, the only one who lived in perfect holiness. And it points us back to the Father who planned it as our greatest treasure so that we fear losing fellowship with God more than we fear anything else. The fear of God reminds us that our faith and hope must be in the precious blood of Jesus Christ alone for our forgiveness and for our holiness. You're not forgiven by God. It's not like God does it all in salvation and you have to pull yourself up by your bootstraps to walk in holiness. No, we are totally reliant on the blood of Jesus alone for our forgiveness and our holiness. We are saved by his blood to sin no more. We trust in him alone. We hope in him alone. And then our faith and hope can overflow in love to those around us as redeemed, obedient children. Imagine a church trembling before the Lord so other fears are falling away then drawing near to the Lord, being filled again with his holy love so that we can overflow in hope and in faith to those around us who are filled with all other sorts of fears. We shine forth a fearful faith in this foreign land we live in that shows God is our ultimate hope and that only his ways bring true life and unshakable hope that can't be taken away by a pandemic, by a loss of a job, by a loss of a comfort or convenience. So Bethlehem, would you tremble before your father who is watching, who planned before the foundation of the world to send his son to shed his blood for your forgiveness and your holiness. Let's pray. So Father, we do tremble before you. We want to fear you more than we fear anything else because we hope in you more than we hope in anything else. We want this holy trembling to draw us near. So I pray among your people that you would have this word have its proper effect that as we go out from here that we'd remember that we are a people saved to sin, more, more, sin no more, that we have a Father who is for our good, working to draw us near, working to create a holy fear that would not let us run away, a Father who will discipline us if he needs to, to keep us from sin that would destroy us. Thank you for your holy love, Father, and help us walk in holy fear this week. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen.